So for example, the Chinese students were not very good at reading at the end of seven or eight weeks. And the Spanish students were, and Russia was in the middle. And it's really quite amazing on how well it matches up with FSI prediction. However, if you look at speaking, it doesn't so much. Um, So it's really amazing that, that, and and this is exactly what I expected, is that Chinese students do really well at speaking. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Charlene Polio discusses facts and myths about the challenges of language learning and suggests strategies for framing the learning process, whether your students are motivated or anxious. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's Media Development Manager. We are delighted to welcome Charlene Polio to our podcast today. Dr. Polio is professor and associate chair in the Department of Linguistics and Germanic, Slavic, Asian, and African Languages at Michigan State University. She teaches in the master's degree program in teaching English to speakers of other languages and also in the second language studies program. She gave a talk last week as part of our monthly LRC speaker series titled, Are Some Languages Really More Difficult to Learn? And we will extend our conversation about language difficulty on our podcast. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Charlene. Hello, thanks for having me here. We are so excited that you are able to join us here. Before we start talking about language difficulty, can you please share with our listeners a little bit more about you, your background, the research that you do? Sure. Uh, I actually got my start in looking at the acquisition of Chinese as a second language, Uh but um, my Chinese is deteriorated, so I'm not (laughs) very good at speaking Chinese anymore. Um, But my, so right now my main area of interest is actually second language writing Uh and looking at writing from a perspective of somebody who studies second language acquisition as opposed to composition. So okay. sort of looking at the interface between second language acquisition acquisition and writing. This The topic that we're going to be talking about today, it's actually a little bit of a, a sideline for uh-huh. me. Yeah. It's something I've been interested in for years, uh-huh. and so I'm really happy to be doing some research in this area and to be able to talk about it and to hope to dispel some of the myths about language difficulty at the same time. Yeah. So what are some of those myths? So uh, is there a difference in difficulty in languages? Well, um, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a short answer to that question. Um, well, I guess, I guess I would say the short answer is that different languages have different things that are difficult. Okay. Um, so it, part of the problem, too, it depends how you define difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like, I can... Yeah. Explain the different yeah, ways that people define difficulty. So, um, well, I can tell you, I can also tell you where this myth comes uh-huh. from. And again, I also, I should, I say myth, but it may not be a myth. It may be true. I just think that we have to have a more nuanced view of what it means for a language to be difficult. I mean, you mm-hmm. just don't want to go around saying, oh, Chinese is so hard. Chinese is so yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. You'll never learn Chinese. Um, so the, when people talk about a language being difficult, it can be one of three things. It can be a cause or it can be an effect. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking, so the effect, a lot of people are talking about the fact that 
that may take longer to reach a higher level of proficiency in Chinese versus Spanish, for example. But that's really the effect, right? It's taking longer because it's difficult. Well, why is it difficult? Um, The cause, people, when people talk about language difficulty, there are two causes that they're talking about. One has to do with inherent complexity. Just is the language itself more complex? Is Chinese more complex than Spanish, for Mm -hmm. example? Um, And then the other issue that they're referring to is L1, L2 distance. So Mm. the distance between your first and second language. Now, if you think about both these ideas or these concepts, um, L1, L2 distance or inherent complexity, how do we even define that? So how do you define is some language more complex Mm -hmm. than others? And then how do you, how do you define distance is, you know, why do we say Spanish is closer to English than Chinese? Mm -hmm. So, I, I could talk about these, but the uh, the effect issue, um, there is a very well-known table that's put out by the U.S. Foreign Service Institute that classifies languages into categories. Yeah. Category one language, which is Spanish, and then the category, um, I know some of the more difficult languages are Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Arabic, mm. I think. So a lot of people have seized on this table as saying, see, see, this is like evidence. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's where, so again, that's the, remember, that's the effect. It's not the cause. So I started looking into, well, where did this chart come from? What's the evidence yeah. for this? And I started digging and digging and digging. And as far as I can tell, and talking to even people who had worked at the Foreign Service Institute and currently work at the Foreign, Inst- Foreign Service Institute, there doesn't appear to have been any empirical studies. Okay. This is just based on people's experience. Yeah. And I now have several people have told me that, so I'm pretty convinced of it. Um, at the same time, so, so even if it were true, so let's say it is true that after years of experience that learners of Chinese just didn't make as much progress uh, as learners of uh, Spanish at the Foreign Service Institute. One of the things I was really interested in is, well, are these languages taught in the same way? Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? Sure. Oh, right. Chinese is hard. Yeah. So we're not going to speak Chinese in class. We're going to do a lot of stuff in English. Uh, okay. And so that's what got me really interested in this. Actually, the thing that really got me interested is, is as a second language learner of Chinese, um, I've, you know, I've studied both French and Chinese, and I actually thought a lot of things about Chinese were much easier than French, yeah. particularly mm. my listening comprehension. Okay. Um, yeah. The grammar, some of the grammar is, it was, is easy, not all of it. But, um, and so I was sort of frustrated with people telling me, uh-huh, oh, Chinese uh-huh. is so hard. Uh-huh. Um, and in fact, the people who, who don't tell you it's hard are the um, the successful second language learners sure. uh-huh. um, themselves. And they're like, oh, no, I learned Chinese. You can do it, too. Yeah. So that's sort of how I got interested yeah. in the topic. Yeah. Well, I think the context of the FSI is also very different from your traditional classroom context that you have at post-secondary institutions. Yes, that's true. It's true. Um, The students are totally, I think that's all they do, right? I believe they just study, they're differently motivated. Now, I don't, yeah, I don't know um, what kind of effect that would have, but Mm -hmm. I really, like I say, I'm really wondering how consistent the the Mm -hmm. instruction is across these different languages at Mm -hmm. FSI. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about that, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to find out more. Yeah. In the research that you have done, 
have you have you found evidence that some of these results from the FSI are mm-hmm. actually true that there that that different yeah. languages are differently <laughs> different? Right. Wow, that's a lot of difference. Well, it's <laughs> such a difference. <laughs> Let me start out saying uh, in in the work I've been doing, I've been drawing on some previous work in second language acquisition, and people in second language acquisition don't approach this from a whole language perspective. They don't say, oh, let's just say is Spanish hard. What they'll do more is certain features. Mm-hmm. Are certain mm-hmm. features of the language hard mm-hmm. or difficult? And mm-hmm. we do know for a fact that there are certain things that are hard. So we know that bound morphology is hard. Mm. We know that aspect, aspectual distinctions are really hard. Mm-hmm. We know that different writing systems can slow down oh, progress. Yeah. So this stuff, there, so if you look at um, these factors, there is some evidence that perhaps the FSI, the Foreign Service Institute chart, um, there's some mm-hmm. fact behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, the research that I've been doing with my collaborator at Georgetown Knoxville, Meg Malone, we did a, um, I want to say, exploratory small-scale study um, to see if there was differential progress of course languages. Now, keep in mind, you can imagine how difficult this research is to do because we can't take, we can't get a sample of 200 people, randomly divide them and say, okay, now you're going to study this language for eight weeks. There's so many difficulties. So, uh, we did a study at a deme- what we call a domestic immersion program, summer mm-hmm. program in the U.S. Okay. And we chose this program because they have a language pledge. And so the students are expected to um, speak only the target language. Or for beginners, it's, it's actually a little bit of a modified pledge. But all their extracurricular activities are in the target language. Mm-hmm. So after a few weeks, they're expected to only use the target language, only watch videos in the target language. Now, of course, especially with social media today, we don't sure. know sure. if they're actually doing this. Um, <laughs> but we, and so we chose this program because we felt like, well, we can't control the method of teaching. So remember I said, you know, at the FSI, was the method of instruction the same across different languages? And we weren't sure that that was going to be the case at this program either, but we felt like, well, we could at least sort of control the amount of input they're getting. That was one. Now, of course, the other problem is we wanted true beginners. Mm. And it's actually really hard to Mm. find true beginners, especially with Spanish. If you think about it, I've never studied Spanish myself, but living in the United States, and I read research, I do read research on second language acquisition of Spanish. I know a lot of Spanish. In fact, I'm sort of amazed at how much Hmm. Spanish I know, Mm -hmm. even though I've never studied it. So there are problems, right? It could be Mm -hmm. that the students in the so-called harder languages are more motivated. Maybe they're better language learners. But we did our best. And what we found um, was, and again, you have to take this with a a little bit of a grain of salt because we didn't even have, we couldn't do statistics, Uh inferential statistics with small sample sizes. But what we found is that with regard to reading, it matched up perfectly with what you would predict based on the FSI chart. So for example, the Chinese uh, students uh, were were not very good at reading at the end of seven or eight weeks. And the Spanish students were, and Russian okay. was in the middle. And if you look, at, we we actually have a visual presentation of these results, and it's really quite amazing on how well it matches up with hmm. FSI prediction. Okay. However, 
if you look at speaking, it doesn't so much. Um, So it's really amazing that, that, and and this is exactly what I expected, is that Chinese students do really well at Mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a couple of things. Uh, Listening was sort of surprising. Uh, Listening was a little bit all over the place. So we did, Uh we tested them in reading, listening, and speaking. Listening, I was really surprised that the Chinese students were not doing as well as I I had expected, especially given as a second language learner of Chinese myself, I actually thought listening was, my uh, my listening comprehension in Chinese was not so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But they didn't do very well, and we don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, The Russian students did better than the Chinese. and what was really interesting is that the Russian uh, instructors actually used some English in the classroom huh. to explain, which really sort of surprised us, but to explain some of the more difficult grammar points, whereas the Chinese instructors, uh, I observed four Chinese beginning classes and not once used like a word oh, of English. Yeah. In fact, we're quite, I was quite amazed at how well the Chinese instructors explain these very huh. complex aspectual distinctions only using yeah. pictures uh-huh. and and I, I, I so it was, it was, they were really quite amazing. The only difference we could see between the Chinese and the Russian classes were the Chinese teachers weren't using any outside materials and the Russian teachers brought in some YouTube videos. Mm, okay. hmm. now, I don't know if that was making a difference. I know yeah. the Russian, they had a lot of extracurricular activities in Russian. Uh-huh. Um, everything was kept in Russian outside of the classroom. Okay. Uh, so uh, we don't know why. So that was yeah. sort of interesting. Yeah, so again, now the other possibility, as I said, the... Um, the Chinese students were pretty good at speaking uh, after seven or eight weeks. What could happen? What I expect would happen, though, if we went, if you know, you continued the study for two years. Mm-hmm. I think this. My guess is though the Chinese students might fall behind because of the lack of uh, input you can get from reading. Yeah. So if you think about Chinese reading, is really hard. And the other yeah. thing I have to say about Chinese reading is it's hard for native speakers too. I mean, hmm. Chinese, yeah, sure. Chinese native speakers of Chinese, they have to learn to write. It's arduous. I mean, yes. they, um, and so I think what happens is, like I said, I can't even read a bunch of Spanish. You've got the cognates, mm. um, and so on. So I think you know as when you're trying to learn Chinese, you can't say, oh, I think I'm going to sit down and read a newspaper article. Even after a year of study, sure. it's hard to read. And so you can't get extra vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't get input that way. Yeah. So that could slow them down. Mm-hmm. And then that couldn't turn affect their speaking. I don't yeah. think at the lower level it did so much, but I think it could. Is any of this research um, already out and published? No. Okay. Uh, not yet. No, we're hoping to okay. get it written up and... Got it. Yeah, because I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are eager to read up on more of the details here. Um, I also wonder if um, when we look at what happened at the Foreign Service Institute and um, at the program that you did your research at, um, how how different the ultimate goal for the instruction was, if that makes a difference. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we we did collect some survey data from the students that mm-hmm. we studied, but um, again, with such a small sample size, sure. we didn't even really look at that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, I think my impression of these students that we worked with, they were highly motivated, uh-huh. highly uh-huh. motivated. I'm sure the FSI students oh, are sure. too. Equally. So, yeah, yeah. That's true. That is true. 
So if we think about um, classroom implications, mm-hmm. um, what can what can teachers do if students come in with these preconceived notions? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, my language, the language that I'm interested in is so hard, I'll never yeah. make it. Or, you know, maybe they might even hear that from their parents or something. Don't uh-huh. Don't ever learn this language, go for this language instead. Um, what can teachers yeah. do to kind of dispel that and, and to convince well, students to take their language? Well, first of all, I think some of some of the teachers of some of the so-called harder languages, I think mm. a lot of this is coming from them mm-hmm. to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Um, I have heard anecdotally from um, student advisors that um, sometimes students are told, oh, take take this language it's easier Mm. so so this is so this is where this could be coming from in terms of advice for instructors yeah uh, what i think my advice is don't say that the language that you're teaching is harder i think that's going to set students up for failure Mm -hmm. and have low expectations at the same time i keep mentioning chinese because that was the language i studied um Chinese writing is hard, and mm-hmm. so it really is. As I said, it's hard for native speakers. So I think students who want to study Chinese or Japanese um, is the same way, mm-hmm. having to learn the kanji, is they do have to understand that this is going to take a while to learn, at least sure. the writing system. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I, I think teachers should... I don't think they should talk about their language as being mm-hmm. as being more difficult. No. Like I say, it does set students up for sort of low expectations. Um, the other thing is, I, I think it's fine to acknowledge that certain aspects of the language are really easy. And again, I, I'm sorry to keep talking about Chinese because that's the language I know. Sure. But for example, Chinese has no tenses. It's got no. It's got no case markings. Mm-hmm. It's right. got no inflection. What's hard is the, the aspect, talking about the other these aspectual, aspectual particles that are very difficult to master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it's okay to like, let's jump into Chinese. Let's just, we don't need to speak English so much at the beginning stages because a lot of the stuff early on is very easy. Mm-hmm. You know, when once you get to aspect, which is going to be challenging, you know, have the students read about it in English at home mm-hmm. or have them do some extra, maybe some explicit grammar exercises at home mm-hmm. when it comes to the harder stuff. But a lot of the easier stuff you can just, you can teach in the target language at the beginning stages. Yeah. So start out with some of the easier stuff. Um, the other advice I want to give is that, and I think this is really important, is just because something's different between your first and second language does not mean it's going to be hard. Uh Uh So we have cases, um, well, I'll use the example of German. Um, In German-dependent clauses, you put the verb at the end, Uh right? So you've taught German. Do Uh students struggle with this? Yeah. They do, right? Um, but it's not necessarily because it's different from English. It's because the basic word order in German is subject, verb, object. Yeah. And so once you deviate from that basic word order, it's hard. It's not necessarily because it's different. So if you look at Japanese, Japanese word order, subject, object, verb. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, I've talked talk to Japanese instructors, students have no trouble putting the verb at the end. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard a Japanese speaker put a verb at the end of an Mm -hmm. English sentence? Mm -hmm. I never have. I've done a lot of ESL teaching. And so just because it's different doesn't mean it's hard. Um, 
Another example are Chinese classifiers. So Chinese has obligatory noun classifiers after numbers and demonstratives. And we, we don't have this in English, right? Every mm-hmm. time you say that or one, one pen, you have to put the classifier in there. And students get this from day one, that, mm. that there has to be a classifier. They don't necessarily choose the right one. Yeah. There's a range of classifiers. Okay. But they get really early on. They, they don't omit them. Um, so again, just because it's different doesn't mean it's hard. Mm-hmm. So that's something else I think that teachers need to be aware of. Don't assume just because something's yeah. different, it's hard. Oh, that's a very good point. Huh. Interesting. Do you have any plans to collect more data to continue um, with this particular study? I, that's a good question. Um, it was so hard to get the data we have. Uh-huh. It was expensive and it was time. For, we were lucky we had funding from our t- the two federally funded Title VI Language uh-huh. Resource Centers uh-huh. at Georgetown and at Michigan State University. Uh-huh. And... This involved like three trips during oh, wow. the summer. Okay. It involved, um, we had students take the ACTFL tests. Mm-hmm. Those are expensive, the oral proficiency yeah. interviews. Right. Um, so I don't know that we do, would do the same kind of study. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other avenues of research. Um, well, first of all, I, if I we could get access to some of the participants at like Defense Language Institute oh, yeah. or Foreign yeah. Service, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I did, we did give the talk, My Meg Malone and I gave the talk to some of the people from uh, Foreign Service Institute and Defense Language Institute in December, and mm-hmm. they seemed interested. Um, the other ideas for future research though is really to look at some of the second language acquisition research where they look at certain features. Mm-hmm. So there are some studies. There's a study that came out in 2015 that looks at uh, different L1s and different the acquisition of different morphemes. So mm-hmm. that's one way to go. Another way to go is to look at sort of the interaction between different types of instruction and different features. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you take a... Uh, if you take a language like Russian that's got a lot of different cases, yeah. um, does that mean you need to teach in a different way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, for example, do you need more explicit instruction? Um, so this this is another possibility. The other area that I'm interested in, I don't do this kind of research, so if there's anybody out there who does, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the idea of language difficulty and language ideology. Mm. So looking at how different cultures and also teachers of different languages perceive their own language. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, um, and, and sort of how it's built into, it built into the culture. Like what uh-huh. ideas do people have about their own language and language uh-huh. difficulty? And then how does this get translated into teaching? I don't know of much research out there on this. There, there might be some um, people I think people of native speakers of the so-called um, difficult languages almost take they take offense when I say to them, "Well, we don't really know that that language is mm-hmm, more difficult." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they actually get rather uh, upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a, a, a point of pride, almost. Yes, so yes. Very funny. And um, there's a there's a really interesting um, piece in the New York Times. They have a, a column called "Room for Debate," and uh-huh. I don't know why they had something about 
simplified Chinese characters. After 1949, um, that the China started using this, this system of simplified characters, but in Taiwan they don't. Mm. And right, so there's right. actually there's a there's a debate about this. Um, oh no, the, com- the the more we have to stick with the more complex structures. Uh-huh, this uh-huh. is part of our culture. Uh-huh. Um, so again, people have these ideas about their own languages. The other issue too is. Well, maybe do we should we start teaching Chinese characters so early and when we're doing oh, Chinese language uh-huh. instruction, this this does slow you down. You have to or sure, you have to sure. and students drop Chinese because they have to learn all these characters. Um, and I again, I've talked to Chinese instructors about this and they seem uncomfortable, somewhat uncomfortable with the idea. Again, mm-hmm. this is part of our language. This is sure. uh, so when you think right. about language ideology, these characters are a very, very important part mm-hmm. of our language. Mm-hmm. And this is what makes it special. And this is what makes it so yeah. complex at the same time. Right, right. Which is interesting because I know there are other languages. I know, like our our Yoruba teacher, he puts a very big emphasis on speaking first, and the reading comes later. But interesting. I, it's, it, interesting. It's a yeah. Very different emphasis on when and what you're learning in that sense. Well, but then also you have. Um, Arabic, which is really uh-huh. in, really interesting case. I'm not an expert on Arabic, but um, the the when you learn to speak, you speak a certain. Most people speak a certain dialect. No, uh, people don't uh-huh. speak modern standard Arabic yeah, as their yeah. native language. Uh-huh. So then you almost have to learn two languages, uh-huh. right? Like if you're going to Egypt, you have to learn Egyptian Arabic and the writing system. Sure. So that's going to make it more complex. Yeah. If and I, Chinese is the same way almost, right? Because you've got the oral language and then you've got uh-huh. to learn these characters, but you're actually having to learn sort of two different languages because there's a perception that well, it's not just a perception; it's true that they're act, that the oral. And the written language are very different. So mm-hmm. I don't know why Yoruba, if if there's a, a big difference or why right, your instructor right. would think that, but that's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think you just laid out a lot of um, potential future dissertation topics. <laughs> I like it. So uh, hopefully some of our listeners are interested in some of this um, research and moving that area forward. Um, thank you so much for, for um, being on the podcast today and for sharing this very interesting topic with us, Charlene. Thank you. All right. Well, next week, we will speak with two of our undergraduate students about the importance of language learning. Hezekiah Thompson and Justin Kang will join us to talk about their experience as language learners and their plans for using language after graduation. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. And do stay tuned for our next episode.